Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We have so much to talk about this week. The Frogs become bowl eligible in their 31-24 win on senior night against Oklahoma State, pushing that winning streak against the Pokes two straight years after they'd had their numbers had our numbers since we joined the Big 12. We're going to talk about that. So many victories inside of that win on Saturday, Saturday night. Recruiting the rest of the Big 12. They're looking for a new coach out in Lubbock. That and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. As always, it is Jeremy Clark and Daniel Southern and Jeff Mitchell here on this episode of the Frogcast. We have so much to dig into, so let's just start with the most logical question. Daniel, I'm going to ask you, after the West Virginia game, did you think the Frogs would be 6-6 six and six going into a bowl game, kind of riding a wave of momentum? Yes or no? No, not even close. I, I was not expecting a win at this game. I was expecting... Um, pretty much a drubbing, you know, uh, I think we all had no expectations of winning, uh, against Oklahoma state. Who's not had the best year, but certainly doing a lot better than the frogs have been and not nearly as decimated by things, but, um, you know, I got, they pulled it off and I was there to watch it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's 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 good in so many ways to be able to go to a bowl game because you get so much more practice and and all these things and it, it's just it it you know it's not a losing season it's uh, you could tell at the at the end of the game with the interview that Gary gave on TV that he <laughs> was just so relieved to be able to have that and and go six and six after what could have been you know three wins or four wins or something just awful and so. Um, and that, and of course, uh, one of those wins being over Baylor, I think, uh, I'm, I'm satisfied for the year so far. Yeah. When you have one of those wins over Baylor, especially the way that that game happened, you have to count that as a, as a solid season. Jeremy, we've, we've had predictions on this show. Some of them with a little hyperbole on my end and, uh, some of them with a little more object objectivity from you and Daniel, but let's be honest here. Did you think that the frogs would be six and six riding a crest of momentum at this point with this much, both relief and excitement? Yeah, I mean, if you go back to a few weeks ago when we did the podcast, the uh, the prediction I had was that they would lose to Baylor and beat Oklahoma State. And even last week, I thought they would beat Oklahoma State just the way they, they showed progress against Baylor. Uh, but after the West Virginia game, I, I was thinking they were going to go one and one. I mean, and that's that's recorded. There's proof that I did not predict this to happen. But six and six uh, off of uh, the, the number of injuries you had to – go against this year being down to your third string quarterback, your third string running back. It's, it's just, uh, it's just crazy to, to think how well that they played the last, really the last three out of the last four ball games to even get in this position. It's crazy. Just another Testament of the job Gary Patterson and the rest of his staff did. And, uh, you got to take your hats off for those players, man. They were so resilient, never gave up. And, and, uh, I think if anyone would have told you in the beginning of the season, if you would have had this many injuries, had to play with your third string quarterback, your third string running back, if they would have asked, would you take a six and six season, you probably would have signed off on it. So very proud for this team and in, in the way they finished off the season. 
you know, even in those moments in the second half uh, when it felt like, hey, Oklahoma State's actually got things clicking. And even down to that last uh, 10 seconds of the game where I thought, oh, I'm not sure I would have handled it that way. Even in those moments, I thought, I think they've got this. And it doesn't mean that it was just in the bag from the get-go. And I know they didn't take the lead until right before the end of the first half. But just you could tell one team was dialed in with their limitations and another team had a high ceiling and they were just not putting forward the effort and didn't have the scheme to make it happen. I mean, this Oklahoma state team, they beat Texas. They were one decent throw um, of completing a two point conversion and beating Oklahoma in Norman. And then you pile on top of that, that last week they had beaten West Virginia. I mean, that the week before what they beat in Texas, they should have beat Oklahoma. They beaten West Virginia. This is a team that has, and they beat Boise. That's who I'm thinking of. They had beaten Boise. This is a good team. This is a co- solid team. Now they've had the bottom fall out a couple of times and I get that, but that said, with, this was not, uh, this was not beating Jackson state on week one or, or whoever we played in, in the previous with the FCS. This is a good team. And you could tell who wanted to be there and who was just kind of coasting into their bowl game. So that was exciting to see. And if, you know, I know, I know it doesn't sound all that poetic, but the frogs wanted it. They came and took it, and that is something that I was really glad to see the character of this team exposed or revealed here at the end of this season. We got a couple of things that we want to highlight on both sides of the ball, highlight some players. Let's just start with who I think of as the hero of this game, uh, Grayson Muhlstein, fifth-year player. Uh, had in a, Coach Patterson talked about in a culture of quarterback transfer where if I don't start my sophomore year, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to transfer. I'm going to take that redshirt rule and take advantage of that. Grayson sticks it out and then finally, finally gets this opportunity at the very end of his career, beats Baylor, beats Oklahoma State, pushes the Frogs across the threshold of bowl eligibility. Jeremy, take us back to when Grayson committed and walk us up to what this moment might have been like for him because I don't think anybody would have predicted this. Yeah, I mean, Grayson came to TCU as, as one of those guys that had a, a very, a very good high school career at Decatur. He put up massive yards his senior year, and he, he was a smart kid, obviously had an offer from Harvard. Uh, TCU was really his biggest offer, and despite the fact that they had Foster Sawyer committed, which was uh, one of the top-rated quarterbacks in the country, a four-star, Grayson went ahead and decided he, he felt he could beat him out, and he, he, he just waited so patiently, and then you're you're here to to play behind Travon Boykin, and then once Boykin gets done, then you have uh, another guy like Kenny Hill come in, and Kenny Hill's the starter for the next two years, and then guess what? Sean Robinson is next in line, and then here comes Michael Collins, and then here comes Justin Rogers. So consistently kept going down the depth chart, but and I've said it the last the last week with with how he had a chance to come in against Baylor and. It's just it's just a testament of him being patient, uh, him just going against the norm and, and sticking it out. And, and I think they showed a graphic during the game, and I think Mark Cohen has said this before, uh, the uh, media relations director up at TCU. He's one of only two players, I think, in the country at FBS programs that are fifth-year seniors that are playing at their original schools. One of only two – think about that for a second. One wow. of only two players – that are fifth-year seniors that are still at their original school, uh, and and so that's that's what you got to look at. It just just being very strong, and I think that's something that Coach Patterson recognized. He recognized it after the game uh, on Saturday night. He, he he thanked Grayson for sticking it out, gave him praise in front of the team in, in the locker room after the game. 
And really, he went down and said, this is it. Now, he hasn't came out and led them to a marvelous comeback victory like they did against Oregon. Everyone, every TCU fan is going to remember that game to the day they, they die. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. And I'm hoping, because Coach Patterson kind of mentioned this with, with Grayson, that he's going to go down uh, kind of the same way Bram did, is, is, is a guy that TCU fans should remember for the way he's come in and really guided them to the last two victories that they needed to secure to make it to a bowl game. He wasn't the flashiest. He, he, he wasn't uh, just going out there making crazy plays left and right, but he got the job done. He was efficient. Yeah, he fumbled last last night in the first two plays of the game, but man, he came back strong. Uh, just stayed cool, calm, and collected, and got him to a win. And it's just a it's a great story, man. And, and like I've said before, I have a, a good personal uh, connection with him. I've known the family. Uh, he's he's always been really good to me. Uh, every time I needed to talk to him, uh, it, it was it was always just an open door policy with him. He he would always be up for an interview. And the crazy thing, I don't know if I ever said this, but the way that I found out about Grayson Muelstein, I'm in Boyd, Texas, watching a seven on seven. Okay. I go out to Boyd, Texas to go watch Foster Sawyer because All Saints is out there. So I'm, I'm looking for uh, Foster and I see this kid that's about six, three, six, four throwing about 50, 60 yards away. And I told one of my friends, oh, there he is. There's Foster down there. I'm going to go down there and see him and talk to him. I told him I'd be out here. I, as I walk closer, I see, okay, well, that's not All Saints. That's that's Decatur. Who the heck is this kid that's throwing the football? This was before Grayson's junior year. So it was it was kind of at that point where I introduced myself to Grayson and, and kind of the rest is history. We've known each other for, for golly, seven years, it seems like. And it seems like he's been at TCU that long, but – uh, I'm so stinking proud for the kid. I'm proud for the family because I know they've, it, it's tough on the family as well, guys. When, when, when you see a kid that just goes through and, and makes so many plays in high school and, and, and does so well, then you have to wait five years to make your mark in, in college football. It, it's tough, but you know, his grandmother posts on Horn Frog Nation quite a bit and I'm, I'm happy for her. I'm happy for his dad. I'm happy for his mom, his whole family that he's finally getting an opportunity to go out there and, and really show what he can do. Yeah, this is one of those stories about why we love college football. I mean, he is a kid from a, from a smaller program. He's not playing at Southlake. He's not playing at Allen. And to, and to see him be able to have that moment, you know, I, I didn't know, quite know when to reference it, but I'm just going to say it right now. There is a great post-game video in the locker room of Coach Patterson. It's about two and a half minutes long about talking about how – Daniel, help me out here. Make sure I get it right uh, – Life is more important than winning, but winning helps life. Did I get that right? Winning wins add to life. Wins add to life. Yes, wins add to life. And then he ended up talking about you know just the endurance of this team and in the way that they were able to fight and, and and overcome a lot of obstacles. And then he pointed out Grayson and he said, you know, this is a world where everybody transfers. When you need when you need to look to someone for encouragement, when you need to look for someone for a hero, I want you to look at him and see what he went through in order to just have this moment for these last two weeks. And that was. Uh, I had a little bit of a sports cry the first time I saw that because that is that is a great snapshot of of how football is a classroom for life. It's not just that 
football is a game. I get that. It, it is just a game, but it also has the, has the capacity to be able to to help form men. And I saw that, and, and Grayson was the embodiment of that on senior night. So that was a special moment for him. I was I was really glad he had that, and and that the team clearly respects him. That's the great thing. The team clearly respects him. So there is uh, some some great synergy going on there in that locker room. I don't want to flip over to you, Daniel. We've we've highlighted uh, obviously the cat, you know, the Grayson and what he was able to do in this game. Aside from that opening fumble on that fumble on that opening drive, he really, you know, he really he, not managed. That's a derogatory term. He led the team well. He put the ball where it needed to be. But there's one guy he kept giving the ball to, and that is Jalen Rager. Jalen ran for a touchdown. He caught a touchdown. I felt like he was about to punt and pin the guy the one and maybe kick a 48 yard field goal. Maybe that's in the works for the bowl game. You're inside the stadium. What is it like when Jalen Rager gets the ball in the open field? And do you do you just anticipate he's about to score every time, like I do? What did you see with uh, Jalen having an impact on this game for Saturday night? It it did in this game. It doesn't always feel that way. I mean, it just, it depends on, I guess, the defense, you know, and the, the offensive scheme and whatnot. But at this time, you could see, and I haven't really watched much. I, I was there and I haven't watched much on a replay on TV, but I did see a clip while we were there on someone's phone of the long run he had uh, for a score. And he's just so fast. And, you know, it, it, that's, that is what it feels like. It's just like, he's going to, every time he's going to get it, it's almost like with, you know, how Turpin felt like he was always, always going to break away on a punt return. Didn't always, but it sure felt like it. Um, it it's getting to that point, and I, it's um, it was real sporadic throughout the the first part of the year. It, you know, it was like he he gets the ball, and he you know he does okay, and then sometimes he'd have a really good run, break away, and, and and but sometimes he wouldn't. And now it feels like it's getting more consistent, and that might be just maturity, um, you know, preparation, and just uh, you know just coming into uh, coming into his own. Um, and I, you know, it's great. I mean, you're right. It does. It did feel like he was about to, you know, kick a punt or kick a field goal just because he was doing everything right. Certainly catching, um, or receiving. And I I don't know. Uh, I don't think there's any room to complain. I mean, that's uh, for his game. That was a fantastic performance that, uh, without it, um, you know what? I don't know what else we. The, the team did overall pretty good, but without that, I don't know if it's enough to win. I don't think it's enough to win Saturday night. I don't think it's enough to have won the week before. And obviously, he had the the game winning touchdown against Kansas State. So we're looking at, at three wins that that are squarely on his shoulders. You know, the the word I kept coming back to with him is it's inevitable. You know, if he gets the ball in space it's inevitable that something's going to happen. It might not be that play, but if you continue to do that, he is going to be able to, it's inevitable that he's going to score. I did like when they, when they line him up in the backfield, he just kind of took that sweep and uh, stepped in front of Grayson, took the, took the sweep, turned the corner. First time he got a first town. Next time he was just gone untouched. You described that about how he's just sprinting down the field. so fast, but, you could tell he was he was comfortable back there. He was comfortable in the backfield, and and, and Sonny got creative and was able to find a way to get the ball to the pl- playmakers. Jalen obviously had a good game. Darius Davis, I was I really thought he had a good game, and um, even though. Uh, 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 he was banged up a little bit. Shaywo, I thought, played hard and, and ran hard and did and provided some things that we needed. 
you know, all that kind of rests on Sonny's shoulders, Jeremy. Did you feel like Sonny uh, called a good game in this one? I know he's, you know, got some some heat every now and then that he's he's taken this season. But do you feel comfortable with the game that Sonny called? Yeah, that was that was the best game of the of the year for him, in my opinion. Just just the way he was so creative and in getting Jalen involved. He he had some great play calls. That screen to Barber, where Barber nearly got his head taken off, was a great on that face mask. If you guys remember that play, that was a, that was a great play call. Uh, he did a great job utilizing Grayson's ability to run the football. Uh, they, they pounded the football. He, 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 he saw that the offensive line was creating some lanes. Uh, Shaywell ran extremely hard. Obviously when you have a guy like Jalen back there, uh, you, you use his speed on the perimeter and that's what they did on those, on those plays. They got him to the edge and, it was so funny just watching that play, that 83-yarder, where you saw the seam open up and you saw that uh, Edison Magruder overran the play and you were thinking, oh, man, if Jalen cuts up, he is gone. There won't be a soul to touch him. And sure enough, he sees that uh, it, just about the same time everyone in the press box did. But it was it was, uh, it was a good game for him because I, you're right. He has taken a lot of criticism this year, and a lot of it's been fair criticism. A lot of it has been – where people kind of scratch their head. But as I've defended uh, the play calling all year, it, a lot of that has to do with the play up front. And I thought last night, really, the play up front was the best that we've seen really since the Ohio State game. And I think that 243 on the ground was maybe their highest rush. I don't know. I can't remember what they rushed against uh, Southern or SMU, but that might have been the highest rushing total they had all year. And, and that's against a pretty decent defensive line for Oklahoma State. But the the only play call that I was kind of questioning was the uh, the fourth and one where they tried the pitch back to Darius and he got thrown for a loss. But oh. if you go back and watch that play, if Carter Ware makes his block, it's probably a first down and then some. So it was it was good. It was good creativity in that regard. But hey, the the thing that everyone's been you know bugging bugging the board about why don't you just get under center on those those third and shorts he did it twice last <laughs> night and that's and, and luckily the first time they barely got it the second time it was by the the sure uh will of grace and mule stein to, yeah the mule, the mule just using his strength to to get that extra yard to get the first down but I, well, I give I'm it glad that they're reading this board to get insight. I just wanted to kind of I'm I really give that an affirmation yeah, to that. I'm I glad mean, they're taking I mean, leadership from our board. Actually, Sonny's. He, I found out his. I found out his username on Horn Frog Blitz. It's Subterraneans. Um, <laughs> but that's that's what he. <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, man. I have to pick on you a little bit. But no, I I, I think Sonny did a Sonny did a really good job with what he had. I, I think he had a great game plan, and I, I think every Frog fan should be, uh, you know, really impressed with the way that they were able to go out there and move the football and. 31 points, I mean, the 24 of those coming from offense. I mean, that's – the 31 points is the highest total they've had since Ohio State. So, if you had said, like I, – I told everyone, if, if, if TC wins this game, they're going to have to score at least 20 to 25 points. That's 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 what it has to be. And they ended up scoring 31. So, it, it, it worked out good. And uh, I think Sonny, Sonny definitely deserves a pat on the back for the job last night. You know, Sonny deserves a pat on the back, but let's be honest, that defense, they really showed up. One guy in particular, I want to flip over to the defensive side of the ball, Jeff Gladney played the game of his life. He's playing, uh, uh, you know, Bolitnikoff, finalist, Tylen Wallace, kid out of Fort Worth, 
Didn't have a committable offer from the Frogs, probably playing with the proverbial chip on his shoulder. And Gladney just goes out there and shuts him down. I mean, he just shut down the the best wide receiver that they would face all season. Now, I don't know if he got I, – I, don't, I, don't, I can't go back and look at the numbers here off the top of my head. I don't know if he got enough targets. I don't know if, if they didn't throw that way enough. I don't know if uh, Cornelius decided I can't throw it that way because Gladney's got him covered so much. But Jeff Gladney made uh, Wallace a non-issue in this game. And what, what did he have? One catch for four yards going into the fourth quarter. I think through three quarters he had essentially nothing. And then he, you know, he got some things in the fourth quarter, and that's that's the Big Twelve. You can't, you know, the fourth quarter just becomes like a episode of Friday Night Lights. Everything starts to happen then. But that said, I was really proud of the defense. I was really proud of the game that Jeff Gladney played, and I, I thought he, uh, I thought he did what what we've needed to see happen all year, which is take their best receiver, shut him down, take him out of the game. And I, I couldn't be happier for Jeff because I know he's really worked hard, had a couple of tough moments every now and then, but he has worked hard to. Have have that kind of moment, and I, I was glad to see that for him. Anybody else on the defensive side of the ball that you guys saw that are that are worth highlighting? I mean, there's I thought the defense played great. I mean, if anytime you can hold Gundy's teams to 24 points is a good night. I think there's plenty of praise to go around. Daniel, you want to go first? No, because I can't think of anybody's <laughs> name off the top of my head. He was the already guy. he was already four beers into it. Five. <laughs> Five. No, he's okay. actually replying to who he thinks Sonny Cumbie is on the board and asking, can you give me some insight on recruits? <laughs> Man, Jeff, the the defense, is, it's really just too many to name uh, for the way they played against Oklahoma State. And, and it's crazy because they had – Oklahoma State was a team that was averaging 565 yards the last few games. This team scored, what, 48 against Oklahoma? I mean, Oklahoma lets everyone score, but they still scored a lot. They scored a lot against 45 against West Virginia, the same team that TCU scored 10 against. Uh, and, and man, just they, they beat Texas. They scored a lot of points against Texas. For them to just go out there and play the way they did, and this just goes to show the way they've played defense really all year long. And even in that West Virginia game, okay, West Virginia scored 47. But that game's 3-3 three to three with – what five minutes to go in the second quarter? Yes. I mean, they, they they played them very tough that game. And look at last week against Baylor; they played they played Baylor extremely tough. Baylor's coming off a game that uh, where where they move the ball offensively, and what's TCU do? They go in there. Uh, they had they had fi- over five hundred yards the week before in a loss against Iowa State. TCU comes in there; they limit Charlie Brewer to one hundred and fifty nine yards through the air. But, Baylor can't get anything going on offense, and TCU wins the game because the way their defense played and because they got good good plays from the offense. Then what Baylor do yesterday? They scored 35 against Texas Tech. So you knew that had to be – it wasn't Baylor. It was maybe you got to give credit to TCU. And then you look at Saturday night, I, there's no way anyone could have guessed that TCU is going to play defense the way they did in that first half. 56 total yards – for Oklahoma State's offense in the first half, 56 total yards. And and the fact that they they uh, just completely shut down Tylen Wallace. This kid had 70-something catches for 1,300 yards and 11 scores coming into this game. They had one catch. He had one catch for four yards. It was not only Jeff. It was just the, the fact Julius Lewis was doing a good job. The safeties did a good Nico job. Small Nico Small played well. Nico Small back there. Uh, that was a huge boost to the secondary, having him back there and, and being the quarterback 
again uh, for the for the defense. But man, that it just just a fantastic job. And in Oklahoma State on the year they were averaging 520 yards per game, and TCU held them to 280. I mean, that's almost that. I mean, just basically half of what they average. And scoring wise, I mean, just the the defense. And we forced two turnovers points. against them. We yeah. forced two turnovers against them. One of which Johnson was smart enough to 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 pick it up and say they haven't blown the whistle yet. Scoot right in and score. And so the yeah. defense is 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 doing everything. You know they're they're shutting down high to high octane offenses with a lot on the line. They're forcing turnovers. They're shutting down award winning players. And I don't want to I don't want to chase a whole bunch of what ifs or it might have been. But this defense is happening without Ty Summers, without Ross Blacklock, and without mm-hmm. his games. So take the toughest guy up front, the toughest guy in the middle, and the toughest guy in the back in the defensive backfield. Take them off the field, and you're still doing this. So yeah. I I get that there's angst about a six and six season, but I don't have any angst about the production and the effort of this defense. And I, I know that we put up the, that Oklahoma put some points up. I know that West Virginia put some points up, but that's inevitable when you ha- when you when you basically take half your roster and take it off the field, and you take your three best players at each position and take them off on the field on defense. I'm so proud of what this defense was able to do because, like I said, Blacklock, Summers, and uh, and in its games, those guys just cre- those guys are havoc creators. All they do yeah. is create chaos for offenses, and they're not out there. And they still shut down the one of the best uh, minds in college football on the offensive side of the ball with Gundy. So yeah. that was my little and, rant. And, but I, I I'm so excited about what this defense did. And here's an, here's another another uh, game that I didn't even mention was the Kansas State game. They hold them to 13 points. Did anyone see what Kansas State did to Iowa State yesterday? Iowa State had to Should've use a them. huge comeback. To, to win that game 42 to 38. Kansas State scores 38 points against Iowa State, which is a good defense. They they had the second ranked defense, but TCU ends up finishing the regular season with the top ranked defense. And, and I had a tweet about it. it. Jeff, as you mentioned, all those guys were missing and they still do it. But that's just another feather in the cap for Coach Patterson and his defensive staff. Man, they do it every year. Every year we 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 get nervous. Oh, they're losing this guy, this guy, this guy. But every year it's just the next man up. They always reload on defense. They always somehow find a way to get the job done. And I will say this about the last, the last four games of the season and, and, and where they had to win three of those last four, they did an exceptional job. And I, and I know Will Greer got a stats at the end, but man, did they just make those quarterbacks look like deer in headlights. Every single one of those games, they were throwing different coverages at them, especially Char- Charlie Brewer and Taylor Cornelius the last two weeks. They were so confused. It's not that they didn't throw them. They just didn't. They were so confused by the the way the defensive uh, defense was showing different coverages and different looks. They were they were so confused. They were just kind of scared to throw the ball. Taylor Cornelius was a shell of his former self <laughs> against TCU. He, if you go back and watch the game he had against Oklahoma, you couldn't stop that kid from completing a pass. He completed every pass except the two point conversion to to win the game, but. And, and against Texas, he was the same way. West Virginia, go back and watch that tape. Against TCU, man, it looked like he was making his first ever collegiate start. That's that's what Gary Patterson's defense does to some of these these uh, strong quarterbacks. And and man, just just think if Oklahoma had TCU's defense, would there? I mean, it would be everyone. Everyone would be talking about Alabama and Oklahoma in the national championship. It would be it, it, everyone's already talking about. Well, it's Alabama and everyone else. If Oklahoma had TCU's defense, everyone would be saying, well, it's Alabama and Oklahoma and everyone else. 
those two teams are playing for national championship. But yeah, TCU's defense, what? Gary Patterson, man, just another another great job. Two things about the defense I wanted to highlight. One was a tweet from our, our friend Jamie Plunkett this morning, who uh, works at Frogs of War. He says, TCU faced number one, two, eight, nine, twelve, and 38 offenses in the country this year and still finished with a top 30 defense in the nation. That is not bad for a 6-6 six and six team. I thought that was a pretty good uh, statistic to highlight there. The other one is uh, one of the guys that does radio on the franchise up in Oklahoma City, and I think he, I think he writes and covers the team. I'm trying to find it right here. Uh, this was his quote last night. He said, if Gary Patterson actually does want to retire, would he take $2 million a year to come be Lincoln Riley's defensive coordinator? Kerry Murdoch wrote that, and I replied, I called his agent, and he already said no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that you are on the same wavelength there's plenty of people that cover OU they're like well they just say if we had an average defense we would win the national championship last year and, and probably this year but they said wait if imagine if we had Gary Patterson's defense so plenty of praise to go around from this game let's uh let's go ahead and kind of bring this segment to a close Daniel and Jeremy anything else you want to highlight from the Oklahoma state game and anything that kind of has brought us up to this point as, uh, as we bring the regular season to an end, we've got this victory. We've got bowl eligibility. We've got a lot that the team has fought through any other parting thoughts before we kind of put a feather in the cap of the 2018 regular season. I'll say that last, the, the, the crowd for the Oklahoma state was really good. I was impressed uh, with the number of people, uh, that showed up out there, especially it being Thanksgiving break and the, and the crowd really just came out and they were loud and it was much better than I anticipated for sure. I do have one thing to say um, to the Oklahoma state chick who was one row in front of me and one seat over. How you doing? <laughs> did you watch more of her than you did the game? Well, you know, there's a lot of downtime in football. Um, so that's, it was, you know, it was split. They eventually, once the score got way up, I don't know where they went, but uh, she was pretty hot. <laughs> hey, Daniel's single hey. ready to mingle. He, he is. He's single and ready to mingle. Even he, with the enemy, it takes a certain type of hot to overcome the enemy part. Um, but at certain, at, at one, I need to make a chart, a graph, but at some point it, it overcomes the, uh, the, the fact that they're the enemy. Jeff, you, I, I did, I did forget. Hold something. on, hold on. I got, I, okay, I got to drop go one more thing here. Okay. Jer- or Daniel, you know where you can find her. You don't have uh, to be lonely where? at farmersonly.com. <laughs> if, she's, if she's coming down from a sub- scenic suburban Stillwater, she is, uh, she's not on Tinder or Grinder. She is on uh, farmersonly.com. Don't ask me how I know what that other crap is, but I guarantee I hope she's not on Grinder, and I'm not going to get into wine. I don't even know what that is, actually, but... Uh, yeah, you should you should you should hit her up on farmersonly.com because that's like the official advertising dating site of the Big Twelve. Every time I watch a K State game, it's got farmersonly.com ads. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh yeah, back on topic here. Jeremy, what were you saying? You had one more thing. Hey, hey one more thing about the, the Oklahoma State game. When when they made it twenty four seventeen, I was one of those cynics that was like, Oh man, here we go. They're it's and I even posted on the board. This is Lenny playing with the rabbits moment. I mean, he it, something's going to happen. It, something bad's going to happen. 
and the offense countered back and what a great play call that was by Cumbie on that that wheel route to Darius where he's just standing there wide open for the touchdown and I thought that was a, a huge moment for the offense and, and and another feather in the cap for for uh, Cumby and, and and really Grayson on that drive for them to go up and, and get that cushion again. Yeah, that was a great moment. They were able to they were able to kind of uh, you know take a lead. Obviously, Oklahoma State's going to come fighting back, but then the offense, when they needed that touch in, they were able to come down and produce, and that really did that really did kind of re- help run the clock out. In some ways, I had this thought. I wrote this down uh, on a little pad I keep next to me during the game. The four the 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 first quarter in the second quarter of this year's game actually felt like Oklahoma State game last year because if actually if somebody remembers the Frogs were losing at the end of the first quarter last year in mm-hmm. Stillwater even though uh, you know they didn't score but that, that one pass of course Mason Rudolph to James Washington but they were able to bleed out that quarter they didn't give them a chance to go up 21-7 or 28-3 or something like that they were able to just bleed that clock out and when you get to halftime and the Frogs are up 7-3 to you're like they they just kind of squandered because you knew that fourth quarter was coming. There was a moment where it was going to come where they, they would not be held to 14 points. They were going to score, and they were able to kind of run that clock out so that when, when Oklahoma State got hot, there just wasn't enough time left. And it did remind me of the twenty of the 2017 game in Stillwater in, in that kind of way. And I, I give all the credit in the world to Patterson to do that, for their ability to you know dial some things up, confuse the, uh, Jurek, the offensive coordinator, and be able to bleed that clock and force turnovers and then be able to control the ball when they had it. And, and next thing you know, Oklahoma State's like, well, we need four, we need 14 points in seven minutes and that that's really hard to do against TCU so I thought that that was a great game plan on both sides of the ball well real quick here we're going to get to recruiting before we do that I want to take a moment and thank one of our sponsors Teen Life if you haven't yet please go to teenlife.ngo it's an easy way for you to sign up to support uh, the, the support programs of mentoring and encouragement for junior high and high school students in the Fort Worth ISD and beyond. When you get to the end of the year here and you're looking for a way where we can uh, give back to our community and support those that are supporting teenagers who are facing difficult challenges in life right now, Teen Life that may helps make that happen. Go online to teenlife.ngo to make a nonprofit donation that is tax deductible at the end of the year. Or if you got a little extra time on your hands and you want to invest in teenagers, this is a great way to do it. And thanks to them for helping and support us all season. We appreciate all the support that we've gotten from Teen Life. You should go support them as well. Well, we've been going for a half, over a half hour here. we got a lot of stuff to get to. We'll talk about what maybe bowl game we're going to. We're going to look at some uh, other things that are going on around the Big 12, including some coaching changes. But let's get to recruiting. Our people love it. They want it right into their veins. So uh, let's let's go back a little bit here. We got plenty of recruiting. Last week we had the commitment from Plant. We've talked about that. You were out this week, Jeremy, to go and see one of our newest commits that was playing out in Abilene in Texas high school football. Lubbock Coronado was playing your Azel Hornets, and you were there to both cover the Hornets as well as taking an eye at one of taking a look at one of the newest TCU commits. Tell us what you saw and give us a little bit about what it was like to be on the sidelines for a big game like that. Daniel, do you have any of that sad piano music you can play? My beloved A's of Hornets. God bless them. They played so tough. They had a 14-point lead with four and a half minutes to go, and uh, they lost. They were winning 34-20, to and they ended up losing 41-34. to Great season for the Hornets. I still beam with Hornet pride. 
But man, Didn't I'll tell they you, they lose on a kick six. Uh, no, it was crazy. They 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 were up thirty four to twenty, and I posted this on the board. Uh, as, so for anyone that that missed it, they can go and go and see that too. But I'll I'll give a quick description as quick as I can. Uh, they're winning thirty four twenty. They they uh, they actually scored touchdown to make it thirty four twenty. Kickoff. They get the a kickoff. The the Coronado kid fumbles the kickoff, and at that point, you're thinking, okay, Azel's going to score, and they're going to win. They're going to put it away. They have to punt. Coronado drives down the field. They they get Conright. The the one time Azel forgets to double cover him, he runs right by the the Azel cornerback. The Azel cornerback actually has pretty decent coverage on him until the ball goes in the air, and then Conright's speed just overwhelms him. And he he runs five yards away from the Azel cornerback and, and scores about a, I think a 30 something yard touchdown. So that makes it 34, 27. Azel gets the ball back. They end up having to punt and they punt. The punt is blocked. The, the ball goes through the back of the end zone safety, 34, 29. Azel has to kick off. So they, instead of kicking off, they punt it. Coronado gets the ball, decent field position. This was uh, two minutes and 30 seconds left, I believe. Get the ball. They drive down, and they throw a ball. And this and this plays actually out there on Twitter too. The same Azel cornerback goes and he makes a really good play. He throws up his arm, and and essentially knocks the pass away. Well, he and the the Coronado kid collide, and they they tumble over each other into the end zone. Well, when he knocked the when he knocked the ball with his arm, it basically went straight up in the air. So what happens? The Coronado kids just literally laying on his back in the end zone and the ball falls right into his chest and they score a touchdown. So they make it, they, they go for two, they miss it. So it's 35 to 34 with 43 seconds left in the game. Coronado kicks off. Azel returns it back. The kid almost houses it back. He, he gets it to the Coronado 40. Uh, they, they get down all the way to the 15. They have a couple passes. One was a drop pass where the kid probably – it was a little bit thrown behind him, but if he catches it, he's easily within the five-yard line. Uh, they miss it. They go for another one. Will route, kind of like the play Darius scored on against Oklahoma State. The kid was so wide open, but the ball, the wind just carried the ball just barely over his head. And so Azel has to line up for, uh, I, I want to say, about a 25- to 30-yard field goal attempt. And basically it was like watching the Tech Mobile defense – as soon as the snap got back there, Coronado had three guys just busted the line, and they easily blocked it. So you have Azel just demoralized by that, and so they're they're already giving up. Well, Coronado kids pick up the ball and race it back for a touchdown with no time on the clock to make it forty-one to thirty-four. It was an unnecessary touchdown, but hey, give you know if a kid wants to score a touchdown, let him score. But that's how the final few minutes of that game ended. But uh, I had so many people because they know I was there to see Azel, and they they also knew that. Uh, Conright was committed to TCU, and so that's another reason why I was there. But it, it was funny because Azel did a pretty good job of of containing him in the first half. But I say contain, and he had 12 catches, but he only had 75 yards because he was only getting six, maybe, maybe six and seven yard gains at a time. But the second half, he showed his true speed. He had a he had an 88 yard kickoff return that reminded me so much of that Jalen Rager play against Baylor. Uh, a couple weeks ago where he he ran that 65-yarder and, and, and basically juked out every Baylor defender. That's what happened with with uh, Conrad on that kickoff return. 
it was funny because a few a few uh, kickoffs prior to that, Conright was lined up deep. Well, he switched at the last second to an up back because Azel was kicking it short. Azel had a freshman kicker. He didn't catch it. Neither did the coaches. So he, what's he do? He kicks it short to where he's been told to kick all day. Well, Conrad's just standing right there, and he he returns at thirty something yards, and Azel Azel gets him. He doesn't score, but the the next time Azel kicks off, he does the same thing again. He he tricks him, and Azel catches it this time. So they start yelling to the guy, "Kick it deep! Kick it deep!" Well, they kick it deep, but they kick it to the same freaking side of the field that he's on. And the guy, the the guy literally lets it bounce off his face mask. The ball's going all around. So Conrad runs all the way from his up back position, back, picks up the ball, and jukes every Azel tackler and runs eighty eight yards for a kickoff return for a score. And the thing that I didn't notice at the time, but I noticed it on Twitter the next day when someone had a, a, a different angle of the uh, video, he was running away from Azel's fastest player. Like he was standing still that, that player last year ran an 11 flat as a freshman for Azel. So he's got some speed. He's, he's a fast kid and Conrad. And, and that's one of the things that uh, me and some of my buddies at church this morning, were talking about that. We all noticed that he was running away from Azel's fastest kid. So that at that point, everyone knew, Holy cow, this, this kid's not just a, a quick pass, missile screen kind of guy uh, that that moves their offense. He he has some serious playmaking ability, and it's easy to see why he's had the the most catches in the state the last two years because they they go to him so much. It's it's a it's a it's basically like a Texas Tech offense. The quarterback does a, a great job getting the ball out of his hands, but Conrad runs really good routes. He's he's not a he's not a talker. Uh, it, it's funny because you you could tell that in, in high school. What do high school students do? They 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 automatically pick on the other team's best player. They they just try to get in his head, and it Azel did. They tried to get in his head several times, but it didn't work. He's he's a he's a uh, uh, doesn't doesn't let his emotions ride high. But he he did he did have a good score, and he he did show some excitement uh, after his thirty uh, something yard touchdown uh, that got him to with within a touchdown uh, in the game. But I, I think. As far as the playmaking ability, what's he going to be able to do? Who's he compared to? He's not a he's not a flashy player like a like a Tay Barber, or Darius Davis, but I, I do obviously think he has some good speed. He he kind of reminds me of of uh, a Jerison Stewart, but a faster version. He'll play as I, I would imagine he plays a slot at TCU, and and he he does a good job of getting open. He runs good routes, and so I think he'll be one of those guys that can definitely create some separation that's a great update i love that you were able to be out there and you know sorry about your hornets but to be able to get to get out there and get your eyes on some guys uh, especially a guy from from way out there in the in uh in the south edge of the panhandle in lebeck so i'll, I'll say this that's a good that, update that quarterback that they, that coronado has he's going to be a, a highly regarded recruit he's he's already six three six four he 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 gets rid of the ball fast i mean he has got a quick release and there for a while, I'm thinking, okay, well, any quarterback can complete these passes to the sideline. It, if you watch TCU football, it's basically throwing the missile screen. They're they're throwing the quick passes, and Coronado has no running game. They have absolutely no running game. But the the kid is apparently a really good baseball player too, and he's got some he's got some decent speed. And, and SMU's already offered him, but I think he's he's gonna his name is Sawyer Rob Robertson, and I think he's gonna be a kid that TCU's gonna recruit the next couple of years too. 
and uh, he's going to be he's going to get a ton of interest because he's going to put up some massive yards over the next over the next two seasons as well. And, and his arm is definitely there. That it, like I said, he he throws he he gets rid of the ball really fast. But the the pass that he threw to Conrad for the deep touchdown, it was a it was a beautiful pass, perfect pass, and it was it was way downfield. We had a lot of guys on campus this weekend, including a young man that was kind of on the down low that ended up committing. Uh, let's start with some guys that we had on campus and then wrap up this recruiting segment. Tell us about the newest commit that the Frogs received right. Uh, I, I saw it right when I got out of church this morning. So tell us, uh, walk us through the guys that were on campus as well as our newest commit from the Sunshine State. Yeah, Jason Vaughn, he, he was um, – same thing here, Jeff. I, I posted on the board before I went into church that there could be a commitment just to – cover myself to, to make sure people knew I, I knew something was coming, but he's, he's a kid that they really wanted to keep quiet. As I mentioned earlier in the week, there was a couple of defensive ends there that they didn't really want out because they, people really didn't know about him yet. And, I, and I'm sure that they're going to start watching this kid now that they see that he's a six, five, 225 pound kid, but he, he's originally out of Miami, uh, Palmetto high school went to a, prep school advanced prep academy this is how under the radar this this kid in the school is we don't even have advanced prep academy on our database (laughs) so i had to create the kid's profile this morning and we don't even have that school in our database at 24 7 so it that that's kind of how under the radar he is he he's he's a guy that uh, they feel can can add weight he's he's quick off the edge from the uh from the highlights i've seen and he, the good thing about him is he's he's a, a mid-year kid, so he's going to be here in January. So it gives them another body for the spring, and that's what they're going to need. I think you're going to see some some things with some of the current defensive linemen no longer being around. I'm not going to mention too many names. I've mentioned Gary Overshawn before. I, I I don't think he's going to be there. I'm not I'm not afraid to to mention that. But I think there's going to be a couple other guys. Or, or at least one more guy that we all know who he, you know, we know the name, but I, I'm not going to mention him right now as far as the guy that could possibly be gone from the program by the spring. But uh, defensive end is a huge need. Um, they, they have uh, three commits right now. You got Colt Ellison, you have the Adam Plant kid that was a 2018 kid, and now you have uh, Jason Vaughn. And I've asked how many defensive ends they take in this class, and I've been told five. They're going to try to get five defensive ends, and, and they're going to try to get another defensive tackle. But again, they're not just going to reach at guys that they feel are just just placing bodies for, there for just to have a body. They they want to get guys that can can play football that that have a lot of upside to them, and that's what they saw in Jason Vaughn. And it was funny because he he doesn't have an offer list that just blows you away. Matter of fact, TCU's the only FBS FBS offer he has right now. Uh, and, and I think that's because they're really the only team that knows about him because the coach actually reached out to TCU. The head the head coach down there uh, at Advanced Prep reached out to TCU and kind of said, you know, hey, know you guys have a need. That, that we love y'all's defense. Can you look at my kid? And and they did. They locked him, brought him in for a visit. They offered him Sunday morning. He committed on the spot while he was there on his visit and. Uh, He's not going to look back. I mean, it's it's kind of like what they did with Adam Plant. It was uh, kind of under the radar, so to speak. They're they're trying to 
it, it may be a little bit more uh, prevalent this year as far as guys that they're trying to keep hidden under, under the radar as far as uh, uh, getting stuff out there. I know about it. I, I don't do stories on the kids until until they visit or, or until something happens as, as far as offers go or maybe and even commitments. But it, it's, it's a little bit more under the radar, so to speak, this year with some of these names. Anybody else that was on campus for an official visit that we might want to keep an eye on yeah. uh, really quick here before yeah. we talk about uh, the bowl, bowl, bowl possibilities? Because I know we had some other guys. I know you got some stories on the board, but I think our listeners would love to kind of get an appetizer of who else was on yeah, campus. Yeah, so the, the whole weekend there was three – there was four official visitors. Uh, Deshaun McQuinn was one of them. He was – he's already committed to TCU, but all four were defensive players, and, and that just kind of shows you where they're – where their needs are right now. Uh, another guy that was on campus is a huge target for them. Drew Mathis out of Moore Park College. He's one of their top targets, uh, especially at, at a position of, of huge need, linebacker uh, and slash defensive end. He's a, he's a guy that they're, they're recruiting that they've told that, hey, we'll line you up on the outside. We'll let you rush the quarterback or we'll let you drop back and, and cover in pass coverage because that's what kind of ability he has. But uh, I spoke with him earlier on Sunday and and he enjoyed the visit. One of the things that kind of stuck out to me is something I said earlier about about the atmosphere is that he was he was impressed with it as well. Uh, now, I know he went to Nebraska last week and probably saw much different as far as uh, number of fans there, but he, he said he was impressed with the number of fans that came out to TCU, especially it being Thanksgiving weekend and, and students not even being there. So that was one of the things that stuck out uh, that stood out to him. And another thing that that really stood out to him is, is the fact that the way they played defense against Oklahoma State, and, and that that was something that uh, he knows. Coach Patterson is, is a is a football guru, uh, especially on defense. And, and one of the things that he said that uh, kind of stuck out about the coaching staff is the fact that they've all been together so long. It's not a, it's not a group that you see a lot of attrition in guys don't leave. Coaches don't leave. Coaches do everything they could do to stay there. And, and that's something that, that really caught his attention as well. He, he said the facilities were great. Uh, the people were good and, and, they want him. He said it, it's it, it's obvious that they want him bad, and and they've 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 told him that, and they've told him that he can come in and, and, and play right away. And when you look at those guys that are leaving, Ty Summers, uh, Rico Evans, Alec Dunham, Jawan Johnson, you're losing four linebackers right off the top, right there. And, and really, Garrett Wallow is going to be the only guy that has any sort of experience at at linebacker. And then you look at defensive end, you're losing Ben. LJ, Michael Epley as a, as a guy that gives uh, depth to the position. And so there again, you have, you have another uh, spot where you can come in and play right away. And they usually don't recruit Juco players unless they're going to make some type of immediate impact. And, th- and that's why they recruited a guy like Anthony McKinney. You look at him, he's, he's made a big impact. And this is kind of the same situation with Drew Mathis. He, he's a guy that they want to come in and, Really, I mean, it's like Drew. We've got we've got all these positions open. You come in and, and compete. This one's yours. You're going to be a, you'll be a two year starter here. That's how that's how open this position is. So I, I think that's one of the things that he's definitely looking at. He's got one more visit. He's going to go to Baylor next weekend uh, for an official visit, 
and he hasn't he he hasn't set any kind of uh, timeline for when he's going to make his decision yet. He just knows he has to do it soon because he's he's got uh, he he's he's a mid year guy, so he's going to be enrolling to whatever program he chooses in January. So he's just he's just looking for a place that gives him a good opportunity. And when you look at the uh, opportunities he would have at TCU, it, it, it seems like they would be far and away the best option just because of the playing time. Uh, but yeah, I, he, I know some crystal balls have been made for Nebraska and, and, you know, they're obviously a, a team to watch, but I, I do think that TCU did have some sort of impact. And, and, and a, another guy that was there that uh, I was asked to keep quiet, but I, I saw that he is actually tweeted out that he was offered is uh, Thomas Armstrong out of Florida. Uh, he's actually on the visit still. He won't be leaving TCU till tomorrow, so I don't have an update on him yet. Um, but that's another guy that if if uh, TCU makes a good enough impression, Rutgers is his only other offer from a from a P5 school, then TCU will have a, a pretty good chance at landing him as well. That is some good info right there. Hopefully, with the frogs making a bowl, they're going to get some more practice. I hope it at least keeps keeps an eye of uh, keeps our, our name in the news and lets recruits kind of keep an eye on our program as a program that's going to a bowl game. Give the frogs a chance to close out a strong twenty nineteen recruiting class. Well, the frogs will be playing in a bowl likely in twenty eighteen, unless we sneak into a New Year six. Ha ha ha. What bowl do you guys want to go to? What bowl are we likely to make? Uh, I we, we got some options. We're looking at Memphis at the Liberty Bowl. We're looking at Houston at the Texas Bowl. Uh, the, the other one is the – I can't believe I'm going to say this without – Say it. The Cheez-Its Bowl. There you go. The Cheez-Its Bowl. The <laughs> Cheez-Its Bowl in Tempe. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, my pantry door is open, and I think I'm trying to – I think we do have Cheez-Its in there. So I'd much rather uh, – I, 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 yeah, it's better. That it's not as good as the Buffalo Wild Wings uh, bowl, but hey, we'll take what we can get. Everybody gets a bag of cheeses on the way in. Those are the most uh, three most likely uh, destinations for the frogs. So a lot of a lot of that comes down to whether Oklahoma makes the playoff, whether Texas gets into a New Year Six, which they will if Oklahoma makes the playoff. But if Texas beats Oklahoma, they'll probably both be in the New Year Six. I don't know. It's it's confusing. But, Jeremy, wh- wh- where do you think the Frogs end up? And then, Daniel, I'd love to hear from you where you want the Frogs to go. Well, don't don't forget about the Armed Forces Bowl because that's a Big 12 tie-in as well. And they, uh, I don't think there's any way yeah. they want to put TCU in that game. I, oh, I know because, I mean, I, I think TCU, I, it wouldn't be fair to them to, to, to be the visitor in your own stadium. Um, no. I, I, I think the most realistic – place that they would be heading is uh memphis i think the liberty bowl is where they they'll head and uh you know if i had my if i had my choice of where they'd go uh i'd, I'd rather them go down to uh houston playing the texas bowl just because yeah i hate hate games on because i gotta go cover these games and i'm doing it i'm only picking this for selfish reasons I don't want to be working on New Year's Eve. It's no fun. <laughs> well, you know, a two two forty five kickoff on New Year's Eve—that's not too bad. Yeah, I mean, but that's, that's in uh, That's true. It is. It's six and a half, seven hours, probably seven and a half hours from you. So, 
out there in in Azel. So yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. You probably have to spend the night, and that, that, that sounds like. Let, let me go down to Texas. I'll go down there on uh, just right after Christmas. I, I mean, I might even leave that night of Christmas to go down there and hang out and mingle with the 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 football team and do whatever. And, and I'll go cover that game on the 27th, 8 p.m. Be inside uh, Reliant Stadium. NRG. Yeah. Yeah. Is it NRG? Reliant? What, what's the name of that stadium? I think it's I think it's NRG. It used to be uh, Reliant. Okay, so NRG. I think it's NRG stadium. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I don't know. I, I avoid Houston like the play, it's a, yeah, so I don't know. I try to as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that would be my preference, go down there and play that. But, hey, at least you have a choice. TCU has a choice to go play right. for a bowl, in, in a bowl game for the 16th time in 18 seasons. Coach Patterson's been the coach. NRG Park. That's what it is. NRG Stadium. Daniel, who do you want? Where do you want to go for a bowl game? What's your What's your highest priority? What's your What's your personal preference? Well, outside of the the New Year's Six, it's, it feels like the Big Twelve tie uh, tie in bowls. You know, it's getting kind of stale. It's always Liberty and or the Alamo Bowl, and of course, we've been there a couple times. And you know, uh, why not mix it up and get get back to the Weed Eater Bowl? That was my favorite. <laughs> Did you go to the Weed Eater Bowl in Shreveport? No, I was like 11, so... Oh, I didn't need to hear I, that. If, <laughs> what, what year was that? That was that was 94. That was my freshman year at TCU. 94? Okay, so I was uh, like 9. <laughs> I didn't know. 9 or 10. Wow. Is that supposed to make it better? <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why oh, I asked. <laughs> Oh my god. So, gosh, uh, no. Dude. I I I would prefer I guess the Texas Bowl cuz it's in Houston. I, I might be able to make that and it's something we haven't been to. And I don't know if we've ever been there. If we have, it's been a while. You know, it's better than Alamo Bowl all the time. Mm-hmm. Um I like a little variety, but I realize the Alamo Bowl is as is of a certain um not, not prestige, but it's not it's not a weed eater bowl, but it's not New Year's Six either. But it's closer towards that. It's it's a good bowl, but um, as far as if you're going to take the trip, you know, you don't want to go to the same place all the time. It's just it just gets stale. So I think that'd be pretty fun. And uh, although as far as logistics is concerned, yes, the Armed Forces Bowl would be the easiest, but no, that would suck. Hey, the kind of would the one the the one game I forgot to mention was the Camping World Bowl. That's in Orlando. Yeah, I was trying to think, how do we sneak up into that? So let's say Oklahoma's in the playoff, Texas is in the Sugar Bowl, and then you've got uh, you've got West Virginia and Iowa State still left, and they're they're ahead of us in the pecking order. Mm-hmm. I would I would assume um, the the Camping World Bowl would want to get West Virginia because there is. You know, it's not close, but it's at least on the East Coast, although it's probably easier to get from DFW to Orlando than it is to get from Morgantown to Orlando. Yeah. But then you still got the Alamo Bowl. I mean, I, I, I think I think if, if OU makes a playoff, I think the Alamo Bowl wants Iowa State because they travel like crazy and they've never played down there. And I, I bet they bring I bet they bring a ton of fans to, to San Antonio. Uh, they brought a lot of fans to Memphis last year. So I don't know how we would slip into that unless – we get sent to Orlando, and then the Texas Bowl really wants West Virginia. But I know yeah. – isn't the Camping World Bowl have a higher 
they're up they're up in the pecking order above Houston, right? Above the Texas Bowl. I I don't know the pecking order off the top of my head. I don't I don't I think it is. I think it's playoff okay. sugar, Alamo, yeah, camping world bowl. I've got it here. I've got it here. So it's the Alamo Camping, Academy Sports, Liberty, Cheese It, and the Armed Forces. Armed Forces gets the the, the last. So you have you, oh, you have eight you, know you, have, awesome. you have eight uh, tie-ins, uh, but there's only seven teams. And there's eligible. seven. There's only seven teams, yeah. and I. You know, we can talk about that. I think Oklahoma's going to make the playoff. Yeah. And so that that bumps them up. And then you start filling with Sugar, Alamo, Camping World, uh, Texas Bowl, Liberty Bowl. Do you, do you, the do you think – do you think uh, – so tech, you think Texas pretty much guarantees themselves a Sugar Bowl? Well, they do, they do guarantee themselves a Sugar Bowl because uh, – if uh, the, the Big 12 champion goes to the Sugar Bowl, unless they go to the playoff, and that if, if Oklahoma makes a playoff, then that spot in the Sugar Bowl is automatically filled by the next gotcha. team in the Big 12. Okay. That's what it is. It, it, it varies off of if the Sugar Bowl hosts. So last year, the Sugar Bowl hosted a championship uh, playoff, so that, that changed everything. Okay. Um, so if that that's what it is. So let's so. – Okay, so you have let's do a hypothetical here. That's how TCU kind of yeah. got kind of got hosed out of a New Year's Six last year. Yeah, it was because the Sugar Bowl was hosted. Mm-hmm. So you have we all think Oklahoma has a chance to make the playoffs. I think they're going to beat Texas this, yes. week, this week. So, but I think they're going to blow the doors off. Oklahoma Texas. makes it to the playoffs. Then you have Texas and the Sugar, and then the Alamo gets the first selection after that. And so I think they do choose Iowa State. I'm a I'm going to agree with you. Camping World, I think you're right. It it although it is tougher to get from Morgantown to Florida, I do think East Coast. For some reason, I I I just see West Virginia playing in Florida for whatever reason, and I think. They- and I think West Virginia wants to play down there because you're more likely to get a kid for a, a high three star from Orlando to maybe think, oh, West Virginia, I can do that rather than you know Texas Tech. Or, right. or TCU, you know, that's, that's just my bias. I know they recruit Florida better than most big 12 schools is what I'm saying. So then, then you have, then you have the, uh, the Texas bowl, which will choose between really TCU or Baylor. So, it, or Oklahoma state or Oklahoma state, but you, you see what I want to have happen is see Baylor See, Oklahoma State finished. If I told you right now where Oklahoma State finished in the Big 12, where would you guess? They finished seventh? Because they're behind six. six. You got a they're buzzer? Six six. You got a buzzer, Daniel? Uh, no, <clears throat> but I have this. Okay, let's, I'm, I'm not going to hesitate here. They're behind TCU and Baylor because of the tiebreaker. They finished ninth in conference. Oh, my wow. okay, so Okay, I didn't know this either until I just looked at the standings. Okay, but, uh, Oklahoma, of course, Texas, Iowa State, and West Virginia at 6-3. and three. Iowa State has the head-to-head, so they, they're third. West, West Virginia's fourth. TCU's fifth. 
Baylor six nice. because TCU beat Baylor. Both those programs are four and five. Kansas State, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State all finished three and six. Well, Oklahoma State and they lost. Yeah, the- Oklahoma State lost to both Kansas State and Texas Tech. <laughs> wow. So. Kansas State and Texas Tech, both at five and seven, are not going to a bowl game. But I, I think, uh, I think they have eighty bowl team slots available, and eighty-one teams had six wins. So someone's going to get left out. We know it's not going to be TCU. TCU is going to get one of those spots, but yeah. be interesting to see. But yeah, I, I it'd be nice if it was yeah, Baylor. I think, I think Texas Bowl is probably going to choose Oklahoma State or or Baylor, and then. TCU is probably going to get the, uh, the the Liberty Bowl. You know, I was hoping there was a way it could all shake out that Baylor could play their bowl game in the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth. It's like their reward is also their punishment. Though <laughs> I, w- I was hoping it could shake out that way. I would go to that and cheer so hard for whoever they were playing. Yeah, I would too. The poor would Armed too. Forces That's Bowl, awesome. they're probably going to get some generic G five schools. I don't. Well, don't they get army? Yeah. Won't they get army? Well, it's that it's supposed to be. I, I always it's, thought it's it was to one be of the a, three and, and the uh, Amer- an American conference school, AAC, not the ACC, but an AAC school. Oh, okay. I thought they had some kind of arrangement with the service academies because army. I mean, that's. That's fun football. Yeah. I mean that they, they might not throw a pass. If you like, oh, we gotta run a ball, you know, your army is your is your uh is your team. So Yep. Interesting. Well, we got uh we got we've gone over an hour here and I had two more segments I wanted to do, so let's just do this real Answer quick. Answer questions real quick. Uh, we'll we'll give short answers. Uh, we'll give short answers. Okay. Jeremy, hold on, let me pull this up here. Uh for okay. All right. Jeremy, which injured players that can get healthy enough to play in the bowl game? Anybody? Nobody. They're done. Nobody? No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I don't know yet. Oh. The Coach Patterson said that they have oh, some gosh. tough de- decisions to make regarding some players that may not – that have been playing, may not play in the bowl game just so they're ready for the spring. So keep that in mind. Well, that was the next question. Who do you think is going to have surgery and not play in the bowl game? I don't game? know. I don't know yet. Okay. We don't know. All right. Daniel, this question is for you. Do you find any solace in the fact that even though the season had some disappointing moments, the Frogs still finished ahead of Baylor, who are currently celebrating not going 11-1? Do you find comfort in beating Baylor after uh, they're celebrating going 6-6? Six and six? Yes. I'm going to go ahead and agree <laughs> with you there. <laughs> I tee you like, up I don't for they really need to say anything else. No, Were they I really expecting a no from him? Oh, you know what? You know, I, you I, know, I, I really wish Baylor would have beat us. You know, I, I, I thought winning, beating Baylor, even if we didn't beat Oklahoma State and go to a bowl game, I thought, well, hell, that that saves the season right there because everything else was just, you know, gone to crap. All the, the last thing we can do to possibly save the season is beat Baylor, and we did. So I was satisfied no matter what happened after that. Real quick, is there a bigger backhanded compliment than in that press conference post-Baylor game? I watched it three times. Patterson, in answering a question that had nothing to do with the comment, would interject, I got to tell you how much I respect Matt Rule. I really like Baylor. I really like Matt Rule. I think he does it because, one, I think he actually genuinely believes it. I do. 
But two, I don't think he does it to get under the skin of Baylor fans. I just think it has the added benefit of getting under the skin of Baylor fans. I just love what he says that because I think he actually means it because I actually oh, yeah. think Rule's a good guy. Heck and yeah, good he coach. means it. But I know he means it, but I also know that Baylor fans hate it, which I take great comfort in. That's the solace that this questioner had that I, I have. So I know he actually means it, but I also know that uh, Baylor fans don't like it. So. Well, he made a comment about the players Jeremy even being different too. So, I know, I know he did. I yeah, that was. Gee, you wonder what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> did you guys see Katie Cannon's tweet that we should have never fired Art Bryles because he's a great man? Hmm. Well, yeah, just, sure, he's a great man. If you like rape, <laughs> I'm just good. All right, moving on. Uh, Jeremy, <laughs> your question for you: Are you going? Are we going to recruit a punter or a kicker in this class? Yes or no? Uh, if they are, it's going to be uh, a secret. They need to offer a scholar. They they need to save a scholarship from for someone uh, in, in this class. It, it, and if they don't, they've got to for twenty twenty. I mean it. The the day and age of uh, going out and just really letting a walk on kicker come and be a kicker or a walk on punter. I mean you you've got to go out there. And, and they tried to get Caden Davis from Coppell, who's going to A and M. They, they tried to get him, and it's just one of those positions where I, I don't think the importance is, is high enough where it should be. And when they got Jaden Obercrome, they offered that kid. He wasn't a preferred walk-on. He wasn't a gray shirt. They offered that kid. They knew his ability. They've got to find a kid like that where they, they don't have to rely on on kids missing or, or if just going out there and attempting 40-yard field goals and you're not even coming close. I mean, they, they've got to get over that and – They've got to find a guy, and there's not a lot of Jaden Obercrums out there. I understand that, but guess what? He runs a kicking academy. If he tells them, hey, I've got a kid that kicks like me, they dang sure better get him over to campus real fast and see what he, <laughs> yes, looks, they- and, and see what he looks like and, and see how he kicks. But I made a comment on the board. I- they just need to have a camp specialized for, for, for punters and kickers, and you let 100 kids come to that camp and you take the best punter, you take the best kicker, and you take them, and Coach P takes them into the office – and he tells them both, you have full scholarships. Your parents don't have to pay for training anymore. They don't have to pay for college anymore. You have a full scholarship to come here to TCU. Take this offer and come be a freshman kicker and come be a freshman punter right away. And, and that's what they need to do. I mean, it, it sounds easier. Uh, it, it's easier said than done. But it, they they need to do something drastic to change it, man. It's special teams. I I, I – don't get me on a rant here, Jeff. We'll go way over an hour and 30 minutes. All right. They, they, they've got to see, well, all they've I got to see is, some improvements there. What's Yes, they do. And I would be all fine with some staff changes there. We'll, we'll save that for a uh, power cast down the road. I just got to say, what's the benefit of having your uh, your all Big 12 kicker run a ticket, kicking academy 15 miles from campus if its sole purpose is not to funnel uh, – great players to TCU. That should be the reason that this kicking academy is, exists. That's 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 my unbiased, no purple lenses take on this thing. So, uh, Daniel, for you, is this the happiest six wins since Coach Fran beat UNLV to put us into the Sun Bowl against, uh, U, uh, against USC? Happiest six wins since Coach Fran's first season? Yeah, I think so. Um, because that was that was a pretty good turnaround. And this season wasn't a turnaround from the previous season, but it, what it was is, is, is you know salvation of 
of you know what could have been three or four win season because of just everything going wrong. It's just been a disaster. So I, I can I can be on board with that. Yeah, I can be on board with that as well. Jeremy, uh any current commits that are planning on waiting until February? I know you don't you don't walk us through person by person, but you know if there's anybody waiting until February because it seems as if eighty five to ninety percent of the guys are signing early. No, I, I don't I don't know that yet. I'm I'm gonna be reaching out to some of those guys uh beginning this week to find out which kids are going to be signing early so i'll of course update that on the board as it, as it comes in daniel someone guarantees you the only winning numbers are the 900 million dollar powerball only one string attached if you take the winning numbers it guarantees that tcu won't win a conference title or a national title in any sport for the next 13 years you have 10 seconds to decide yes I'm, I'm going to agree. I'm going to say yes, and then I'm going to fix all I'm that sorry. with, with some, uh, some on-the-above-board donations and then maybe uh, some uh, uh, under-the-table donations. Then we'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, Jeremy, are we still in the Catalan Derby? Is there any outside shot of the Frogs being able to uh, get an official visit out of Catalan, or is that ship sailed? Well, they're still recruiting them. I don't know uh, if it's as heavily as they were before. Um, it, 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 he just plays a position that is kind of a weird need right now. They're they're not hunting for uh, safeties in a big way. If he was a defensive lineman, hell yeah, they'd be going all over him. But they're still recruiting him, uh, and hopefully they can get him in for an official visit. But I, I think it's still one of those – and I know it's going to drive people nuts because they see the rankings and everything else, and he is a good player, and, and I, I do think he would make an impact for them. But sometimes you got to go after more – uh, bigger needs and, and, and really the needs right now are at, are at linebacker and defensive line. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, speaking of uh, linebacker, is Marcel Brooks, is he still listening? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that, that's a good question. I mean, it, it, they're going to keep recruiting them. Uh, I know Coach Patterson loves him. I know he loves his ability and – Marcel Brooks might end up being one of those guys that ends up playing offense in college because he's had such a crazy year offensively um, as a receiver. And mm. you never know. He 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 might be one of those guys that – I can't remember who it was. Oh, uh, Ed – was it Ed Pope or – I can't remember who it was that T.C. recruited as a, as a defensive back the whole time and then he switched to A&M to play receiver. I think it was Pope. I think it was Jason yes. Teague's brother. I think it was Pope yeah. as well. Yeah, I think it was a little early in the Sumlin era. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, it, it, it actually was. It was Sumlin's first year um, after he left Houston, and it was going to be his first year at A and M. And I think uh, Pope had a huge year as a receiver his senior year, and he decided he wanted to catch touchdowns instead of defending them. Okay, two more questions. Uh, first one is is uh, pretty straight up, Jeremy. Any updates on Coker? Yeah, I know he's got Texas in his ear. Um, do you think the frogs still hold on to him? Yeah, I, I think he's I think he's solid. Chris Thompson's done a great job recruiting him, and he knows he's a smart kid. That TCU wanted him long before Texas did. Texas is going to show him, hey, we 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 evaluated you. We we want you now. But I think Hoofkin's the guy that they really want, and, and they're going to keep an eye on Coker and. Uh, it, obviously, if Javon Shepard does any kind of flipping to A&M, then, then they would go hard at Coker. But Coker's smart kid. He he understands that. He's he's like he's thinking, okay, well they're they're telling me these things, but 
you know, I'm, I'm still solid to TCU. I, there, there's, they're, they've told me, they've told me for a long time how important I am to their class, how, how big of an impact I can make. Um, they, they, they treat his family well. His mom loves TCU. And he's a guy that could come in, guys, that, that could see the playing time immediately as a true freshman. And, and they're not afraid to slide him in at, at guard if they need to, but they think he's, he's got a great, great future at tackle. And, uh, I, I think Chris Thompson hangs on to him. And the fact that that TCU made a bowl game only helps it, especially with the way they've uh, gone through all this adversity, especially with the injuries um, this season, and, and and somehow we're able to manage six wins. Okay, here is the last question, um, Daniel, Jeremy. I need you guys to give me your objective answers on this. This comes from South Bay Frog. Who would win a sixty meter race amongst the three of us? So let's just kind of size things up here. Um, you got Daniel, taller than we are. I like hanging out with Jeremy because he's actually shorter than I am. And I'm kind of in the middle, but, you know, I've lost some weight this last year, so I'm not, I'm not quite carrying as much as I used to. Um, I was a fullback and defensive end all through junior high and JV ball. Then I became a, a, a pulling guard, 220-pound pulling guard. I ran a 4.840 at one point, uh, then blew my ankle out, and I, I improved my speed to five. So I, I feel like I got a pretty. I feel like I got a leg up on you guys. I don't know about you. I don't know what you guys think, but who's going to win a 60-yard dash between the three of us? I wouldn't last 30 <laughs> yards or whatever. That's that's good, Jeff. You also ref too, so you might be in the overall best shape. But I will say this: I time myself. And this was the craziest scenario a, a year ago. One of my buddies, one yeah. of my buddies, bet five hundred dollars. He 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 put this on the table. I'll bet anyone five hundred dollars that I can run le- under a four eight. And I'm not saying a friend because I'm oh. really the guy. This really one of my buddies did this. He he bet, and, and one person took him up on it. And 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 my buddy who ran a, a, a four four, and he says he ran like a four two in high school, which. I don't think I believe, but uh, I don't believe that. I don't either, but I just nod my head in agreeance. But he ended up running like a a four nine, so he lost five hundred dollars. But just for giggles, I time I wanted. You know what? I want to see what I run after my blown Achilles and everything else. I'm I'm out of shape, and I still ran a five one forty. Couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. And that's. I mean, I ran a five one forty when I was a seventh grader, but. That I mean, that's <laughs> for me to even come close to that now. I, if I timed right now, a year later, I'm not in bad shape. I'm in decent shape. I've lost some weight too. It'd be. I think. I think me and Jeff would be pretty dang close. You know, I got to tell you, I was doing a game this year, and I'm I'm the referee, so I'm the white hat. I don't look like the uh, Mike DeFree, the guy with the big guns white hat, but I'm the white hat out there. And that means if anything kind of comes back, I'm the last line of defense. So if somebody does, you know jumps in front of a pass at the one yard line and goes 99, it's my I got to beat him to the goal line. And so we're they're down at about the five, and they run a sweep over there towards the goal line. And you know the ball comes out, and I can see it. And my, my wing throws his bean bag, and I throw my bean bag to, to acknowledge it. And somebody scoops it up. And it's not like a lineman. It's like a corner that times it to where he sees the ball and then it bounces right up into him and he scoops it. 
and I realized I got to run about 96 <laughs> yards with this guy as far as I can. And it was, it was late. It was so cold. It was so cold. And so I'm racing all the way down there and he gets knocked out at the one. And I was like, buddy, if you're going to make me run this far, at least score. Yeah. I was so <laughs> exhausted. I was so <laughs> exhausted on that. And, like, I, I get the huddle. You, there, there's actually a huddle. You know, you watch huddle for recruits. There's huddle for refs. And I'm watching it in the – the the uh, film guy is turning with the with the guy that's running the ball, and then he has to kind of turn back to catch me that's coming trying to keep up with this. So, <laughs> we, need, oh, we need to see that. We need I, to see I, that I, on the board. We need to see this. We need to okay. See I can't believe they pull a hammy. But all that's to say, I think I could take you. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll have a runoff this summer. Let's do so. it. We'll we'll do it. We'll cover a camp together this summer, and we'll wait for everybody to get their forties time, and then we'll get everybody. I want we'll get Daniel to video it. We'll get everybody around. Uh, maybe we'll we'll invite some folks in at the very end, and I will we'll we'll, we'll we'll race in a sixty or maybe a forty and see who can see who Let's can do, do it. it. So we'll do it. All right, we'll book it. We'll do it. We'll make it happen. So. All right, last question. Who's the next coach at Texas Tech? Cliffy is out. I can't believe they fired Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, I know they went 5-7, and seven, but beating Baylor and going 6-6 six, six shouldn't decide, decide whether you keep your job or not. I think he's doing – I got a little theory. I don't think anybody's taking a harder hit in the Big 12 when they went to – when the conference got ahead of shakeup than Texas Tech because yeah. they got another Power 5 team, and Baylor has come up since then or, or came up and went down and is still – doing all right rules doing a decent job recruiting and then of course tcu's uh, the third best team in, in the conference in terms of recruiting i think tech's taking a real hard hit there as well as the rise of gundy so uh i think they got too high expectations and i think they made a mistake firing cliff kingsbury what do you guys take on that what's your guys take on that uh i mean he's had he's had his time there i mean he's had an opportunity to uh get better the problem with texas tech is they think they're better than a 500 program and they're not they're they don't have Mike Leach anymore. Mike Leach is the guy that they made a tremendous mistake ever letting go because I think he's proven to everyone um, that he's a pretty dang good coach just based off what he's been able to do out at Washington State. Look at what they were before he got there and where they are now. Uh, if they were smart, I'd pick up if they didn't have such stupidity and have all those legal battles with him, they would have had a chance to bring him back. <laughs> Bury, bury the hatchet, but no, they, they've burned that bridge. I, I think it's, they're going to have to go for a guy. They've got these champagne dreams. They're going to get a guy like Brett Venables, or he's not coming to Texas Tech. Quit putting that out there. He ain't going. Uh, the, no. the guy that I would, that would take, uh, you know, it, it, they would probably take a look at is, is the guy that I think everyone's been kind of mentioning this whole entire season, even before the season started, is uh, Seth Luttrell over at North Texas just because – uh, the way he's turned that program around, it's a it's a high flying offense. They play good defense, and and he's he's changed that program around in the short amount of time he's been there. He's young, and and uh, you know I think I think he can recruit well. He's he's actually built some pretty decent uh, classes over there at North Texas. Now they're not getting five star, four star players, but they're they're getting decent players. I'm going to go ahead and say Holgo which I've been saying since May, to Tech. I think that's going to be whole go to Tech, and he's going to have a weekly call-in show on the ticket, and he's going to he's gonna light up the state of Texas. I don't mean he's going to win 11 games, but he is going to put on a show out there in uh, on the South Plains. So I think, I think Holgo is going to leave West Virginia because they've 
that's as good as it gets. They'll, they'll, they, West Virginia is not capable of having a better roster and a better season than they had this year, and they came in fourth place in the mm-hmm. Big 12. So I just don't see it happening for, for Dana at West Virginia. And I think it's going to be one of those situations where he leaves before he gets fired because they're frustrated. Their fans have, uh, in some ways, kind of like Tech, I know it's, it's going to seem like a lateral move, but in some ways like Tech, they have inflated expectations. And I think Dana wants to get down to – into the Big 12, no pun intended, you know, not to belittle West Virginia. He wants to be in the heart of the Big 12. He wants to find those guys that are that are going to be able to run his system right there. I think I think Dana's going to end up in Lubbock, and it's going to be great for the Yeah, you know, that, that would great be the kind of hire that they would need to make. I, I don't think anyone would be overly excited with Latrell getting named the head coach. I think they need to make a splash hire, kind of like what Kansas did with Les Miles. Uh, if you bring a guy in, if you make that kind of shakeup, uh, within the conference, I mean, that's <laughs> you're going to get people talking, and and uh, you're right on some of those aspects, and and you make me you made me a believer listening to you the last couple minutes because I think it would be a, a a definite destination for him. It just just having your footprint back in the state of Texas and and being able to recruit down here, and 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 really you hit the nail on the head. He was never going to have that type of uh, program at West Virginia, just getting guys in there and recruit against uh, the type of teams he's recruiting against in the Big 12. And if he's down here at Tech, then he obviously he has a better chance to do those things. But, uh, yeah, it ought to be interesting. But I think they're going to try to make a splash higher. If, if he walks into the Chicken Express inside of the gas station in Lubbock, I mean, that that he's home. <laughs> I mean, he's going to go in. He's going to order a case of Red Bull. He's going to want an ex- extra gravy. He's going to take it back to the, like, apartment that daddy lives in when he made bad life choices, and that's where he's going to stay. It's going to be a great spot. I think Dana is built for Lubbock. <laughs> Dana is built for Lubbock. That's all i got to say. So... Men, we've gone an hour and 25 minutes, so we're going to bring this to a mer- mercifully going to bring this thing to an end. If you haven't yet, please go online and subscribe at hornfrog dot, uh, hornfrogblitz.com. Please join TCU 24-7. It's a great site where you can learn and stay in the loop on recruiting as well as all the other things that are going on inside of the program. As we're moving towards National Signing Day in just under a month, Hornfrog Blitz, TCU 24-7 is the place to be. And if you haven't yet subscribed on your uh, a podcasting app of choice, Join us here on the Frogcast. Give us a rating. Give us a review. We were looking through some of the ratings and reviews last week. And, hey, guys, I, I actually kind of appreciate that. We're, we're doing all right here. Um, your reviews and your ratings mean a lot to us. And we appreciate everybody that's kind of stuck with us this season. We've had really good numbers in spite of the fact that, uh, you know, it hasn't been a top 10 year like it was the year before. Uh, we appreciate everybody that has listened all season. It's gone a long way. Stay with us as we're going to sprint towards National Signing Day and then the next signing day. And then we'll keep you in the loop through baseball, basketball, and hopefully football. He'll be here again before we know it. So as always, for Daniel and for Jeremy, I am Jeff. Thanks for listening to the Frogcast. <laughs>